in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Hey, don't roll it. Hit it downhill. With power, you run it straight downhill. You know where we're coming, and we know where y'all going to be lined up at. Now you just got to stop. I'm saying I'm better than you. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Peace mode is already inside. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. T.C. Martin with you. Oh, yes. Football galore to talk about today. And we got Thursday Night Football, a pretty decent game. And look who returns to the airwaves on Thursday Night Football. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Our man, T.J. Reeves, who works with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The sideline reporter, he will join us live from Philly. And I hope to goodness that he has got himself a Philly cheesesteak, either from Pat's or Geno's, or maybe Luke's. Luke's isn't bad either. Any of you Philadelphians out there, you know what I'm talking about. All right, T.J. Reeves will join us from Philly. We get ready for the Buccaneers and Eagles tonight, Thursday Night Football. Actually, a decent Thursday Night Football game. So we look forward to that. Trevor Maddich will join us. We talked Trevor regarding the college football docket on Saturday. And uh, Scott Spritzer will join us as well. And we get into our best bet segment today. That's right. So I will not be here tomorrow. We will not be broadcasting live from the Cosmopolitan because yours truly will be on the road tomorrow in Houston, Texas, Minute Maid Park, getting ready for game number one of the ALCS between the Astros and the Red Sox. So we'll be there for games one and two. C. Wynn, Chris Wynn, will be filling in uh, tomorrow. So look forward to that. And uh, I'll be uh, checking in from Minute Maid Park uh, as well tomorrow. So we'll have a good time uh, with that. But thought we would uh, move up our best bet segment one day uh, and uh, go over that today. So Trevor Manich will be participating like he normally does. Uh, Scott Spritzer as well. And uh, even... The G-Man, Gilby the intern, in the house here today. So we're pretending that it's a Friday, but it's really a Thursday. So try not to get too confused here. And then Numchuck is just hanging around like he normally does. There you have it. (laughs) All right, so a lot to get to uh, on the table here today. And let's don't forget Major League Baseball, the playoffs tonight. Finally, the entire postseason field will be set as the Giants and the Dodgers will square it up, square it off at Oracle Park, whatever they're calling it now. I mean, it just drives me nuts. They're in San Francisco. Pac Bell Park, AT&T Park. Who knows what? Now it's it, it's Oracle Park. But anyway, the Giants and the Dodgers, Game 5, the two historic NL West Division rivals, who battled to the final day of the regular season, saw the Giants come away with uh, the division crown. The Dodgers relegated to the wild card as they entered this with 105 victories. Wild card. Had to win a one-and-done game, and they did that. And now they have forced the Giants to a fifth and deciding game after uh, the Dodgers came back in impressive fashion to win game four. Their back's against the wall. So tonight, it is on the line. Must-see television. Must-see baseball. Dodgers-Giants game five tonight. Think about this. Both teams 
as we sit here right now, have 109 wins in the season. Is this insane? 109 wins, and they're in the same division. And this is only the divisional series. And one of these guys will go home. The winner will have 110 wins. The loser will go home having 109 victories on this 2021 season. It it, it is crazy. But what is so great about Giants-Dodgers? Because you have the history here, the parallels. And you go back and you look at the all-time victories between these two franchises, and they're a handful of games apart. It is crazy. They both leave the New York area to come to California in the same year. Was that 1958? The craziness. The Giants go to Northern California. The Dodgers go to Southern California. Uh, they've been bitter rivalries. Uh, the, the fan bases can't stand each other. You know, two teams that have stayed for the most part with their true logos and true colors. None of this other nonsense, changing colors, changing uniform schemes. No, a lot of tradition there. And tonight it comes down to game five. And I know people in both of these organizations, I know people from both fan bases, uh, this is going to be wild and crazy tonight. Game five, the only baseball game on the docket and the lone game that's left to see who our final four teams are in the NLCS and the ALCS. And just sitting there waiting are the Atlanta Braves who took care of the Milwaukee Brewers even though the Brewers had a fantastic season this year. May they rest in peace. Sorry, Brewer crew. The bats weren't there. The bats did not come alive. And that was sad to see because I know so many Milwaukee fans thought, okay, this is going to be the season. I mean, how many times have we seen the Brewers just fall apart during the course of the summertime? And, you know, when I was back there for those 12, 12 years that I was living in Green Bay and covering the Brewers and everything, it was, you'd see these miraculous seasons and they'd come to a crashing halt come July and August. And then there were those rare postseasons where they'd get there when CeCe Sabathia, remember when CeCe was there and they rented him for a, a little bit and they couldn't get the job done. Well, this was the year that everything kind of fell into place. When you look at the NL Central, The Cubs were not the Cubs that we've seen the last few years. The Cardinals were not the Cardinals until the final month of the season, final couple weeks of the season. The Cardinals win 17 games in a row. Oh, by the way, they fired their manager today, too. Mike Schilt gets the pink slip today. He wins 17 games in a row to put this team in a wild card position. They have the one-and-done game with the Dodgers. And they fall up short just as they lose in, in what the bottom of the ninth inning, right? 3-1 final there. And Mike Schilt, what's he get? Hey, nice job, buddy. See you later. Yeah. Philosophical differences. That was the verbiage when they said, Mike Schilt, you're on your way. Now, and this is Major League Baseball. This is what happens. This is what happens when you have a disregard for the managerial position. And don't get me going because I could talk forever about this and I have talked forever about this. My guy, Dusty Baker, is going to be manager of the year. Should be manager of the year. Still, no guarantee after this series or after this season because they haven't re-upped him yet. That's all. Same thing happened in Washington. Eh, I give it to Davey Martinez. Going to make a lot less money. We'll go with the younger guys. 
guys that we can control. Mike Schilt, same type of guy. Like, uh, we'll bring you in. Fine. Great job. Well, kind of underachieved a little bit. Why it take you so long to get to the postseason? Win 17 games in a row. Yeah, philosophical differences. That's what we're going to use here. That's what's on the divorce papers. Is that li- Can you use that in courtroom? I'm looking at Numchuck here. He's, you know anything about that? No. Okay. There it is. Philosophical differences. That's the divorce between the Cardinals and Mike Schilt today. All right. Back to the Brewers. Gilby the intern, my man, the G-man. Who is a Wisconsinite? How sad were you when the Brew crew got sent packing? And prematurely, you got to admit, you I'm sure you had a ticket on the Brewers. I knew many people had tickets on the Brewers, thought they were going to get past the Braves. I did have a couple of my friends from Wisconsin <laughs> call me. I'm, hey, can you get a little bit of juice on it for yeah? me? Yeah. But, TC, you're right, because all, all the years that I grew up there, the Brewers would do good in April. They do great in May. They do good in June. They start failing in July, and then by August, they faded on their way out. So the last three years that they've just happened to actually win the division has been so exciting, and you're just waiting for them to fail in September, and they kind of did this year. Like you said, 17 wins by the Cardinals. I mean, thank God they had a good enough lead and just played good enough to stay four or five games above them by the end of the season. But devastating, no bats. I mean, how many runs did they score in, in the four games? Right. Uh, not very many. No. So and, Offense non-existent. Yeah. And I have to be honest, um, I'm not a big hater fan, the relief pitcher. And when I saw him warming up and I knew he was coming in the eighth inning, I actually went outstairs at a, or I went outside and did yard work because I knew he was going to give up a home run, and he did. Why are you a hater-hater? I mean, this guy, I understand he has blown, but he's given you more good than bad over the last few seasons. During the regular season. Yeah. But in the playoffs, after they see him like in a, in a seven-game series, they, they figure him out. And I'm always scared for the Dodgers whenever Jensen comes out. He's the same way for me. But now that he pitched his whole del- he changed his whole delivery this year for the Dodgers, mm. it's like I see him doing this double twitch thing now, and I'm going, yeah. well, that's not the same pitcher. But whenever I see him come out on the mound for the Dodgers, I go, oh, no, he's going to give something up because that's what he's done the last three, four years. Yeah. Yeah, Brewers, uh, very, very disappointing. But uh, tonight... Well, it broke a lot of hearts. It did. It really did. They, they did. They did. And uh, they, a lot of guys were flushing tickets as well, too. They thought they had a live one there with the Brewers in futures. Again, especially considering the NL Central was down this year. But then, again, you have the matchup against the Braves, which you felt, okay, is winnable. It's a winnable series. And a lot of low-scoring games, Braves advance and Brewers don't. So, the Braves are waiting for the Giants-Dodgers winner tonight. Game 5, series tied 2-2. I talk about the history. I mean, you can go way back. I mean, 1951, you know, shot heard around the world. Bobby Thompson, uh, the New York Giants, beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 5-4. Then you had all of those great runs in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. You go back to 2004, the way that season, you know, ended. And then the last few seasons, you know, with, with the Giants... And the Dodgers as well, too. Even though the Dodgers were basically the cream of the uh, NL West. But then, you know, the Giants, you're going back to the last decade or so, more championships than anybody. So, yeah, tonight's going to be exciting. Giants, Dodgers. G-Man, who you got? 
I've been a Dodgers fan ever since I was a kid, so I always go for the Dodgers. And one of my best friends is a Giants fan, so it always goes hand in hand. He's a he's a Niners fan also, so mm-hmm. we always bat heads. See, on so you're going, like you're, okay, you're going I'm, the I'm going home. You're going school. the fan. You're going the fandom routine. Yep, okay, fandom how about routine. objectively? I think the Giants win it. <laughs> there you go. Just like the Brewers. I love the Brewers. This and that. I can't watch him. I got to go do yard work. Yes, I did. In the eighth inning, I did, but. The Dodgers surprised us today. Yeah. Who are they starting today? Oh, jeez. I mean, that's a whole that's uh, a whole conversation we can start. I mean, you, you can talk about. Yeah. I mean, way out of the blue, you, you don't use your Urias, oh. your, your your twenty game winner. You want you want to go breaking news here? I yeah. mean, this is this is breaking news. So, uh, typical Dave Roberts. All right, game five tonight. Your most important game of the season, and Urias was fantastic. In the earlier outing, I was on the Dodgers that game where they spanked the Giants. No problem. And you got him for game five. That's the guy that I want to go against Logan Webb. Of course. Giants are going to trot out their guy. All right. Rockland, California native. Not far from San Francisco, you know. Two hours away. Rockland, California outside of Sacramento. Yeah. No. Corey Knable. You're going with a reliever. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't say reliever anymore. Opener. I got to say opener because that's a new avant-garde term that we have to use now when we're talking about this. Thank you, Joe Madden. Thank you, Kevin Cash. And now, thank you, Dave Roberts, you ham and egger. Yeah, Corey Knable. You know him, G-Man, the former Brewer. Yes. Yeah? Can you ever picture Corey no. Knable starting a game? Five. A, a, main, a meaningful game. Never. Even a regular season game when he was with the Brewers. No. Corey Knable, where's he going to come? Seventh, Seven. eighth? Yes. Maybe ninth inning, more likely seventh or the eighth inning, right? Yeah, he's going to set up for your man hater. Corey Knable is your starter. It's okay. We want to go ahead and just expose our bullpen. I wanted to bet on the Dodgers tonight. I was set to bet on the Dodgers tonight. And if I would have bet, I would have listed Urias, and then my ticket would be void. Correct. Okay. Because, you know, I, I list my starting pitcher. Or if it's a real bum, then I go against him, and, and you know. But yeah. So if you got action and you thought you were getting Urias tonight, uh, sorry. Get back to the window. Yeah, exactly. Because your action ticket now has Corey Knable, the reliever. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. This is what we're talking about here. Dave Roberts. (laughs) People have been listening to me for a long time. They know how I feel about Dave Roberts. Uh, This guy will cost you games. He will cost you series. And he may cost the team that has 109 victories tonight. Corey Knable. Yeah, let's just automatically get into our bullpen. You know, most people, and, and Steve Sachs said it great the other day, and, and Chris Bosio, we were talking right before we came on the air today, um, that your bullpen were guys that were throwaway guys back in the day. They were throwaway guys. And then it was like, okay, we have to invent the, you know, the closer we got to do the closer. Then once we got the closer, well, we need, you know, our starting pitching has become so bad in Major League Baseball over recent times. We really need to get a setup man for the closer. Okay, I can get that. Here's the deal. If your closer, or if your starter cannot give you at least seven innings, you got some problems. And now they've lowered that to maybe six innings. Just get to the six. Then we can get our, our setup guy, our hold guy in the eighth, and our close guy to get the save in the ninth. Okay, that's what Major League Baseball has come down to. No, no, no. 
over the last few years has come down to let's surprise the other team, let's outthink ourselves, and let's get one of our middling middle relievers that are basically career minor leaguers, and let's get them to start a game because it'll throw off their timing, the opponent, and they'll we'll start off this way, and then we'll start piecemealing like we're a McDonald's Happy Meal or a Kentucky Fried Chicken or the bad Colonel Sanders impersonation, and let's do this. Let's mix and match the four and the five combo meal. Forget the chicken in the breast. Throw in that garbage wing in there and, and give him a shot for an inning or maybe an out or two. This is what Major League Baseball is all about. And for anybody that can sit there and tell me that, hey, that's smart managing, no, because it doesn't work most of the time. It doesn't. Yes, strikeouts are up. Granted, I get that. And you want to try to cause mismatches. But what happens in close games? What happens in extra inning games? You're now burning out your bullpen. The whole objective of baseball in winning games, especially playoff games, is preserve your bullpen. Preserve for late inning games. Okay? So you have the right guys there. You can piecemeal this all you want. If you're down four, five, six runs, you're done. Perfect example. What happened with the White Sox? All right, Tony Larusa said Rodon. He threw a no-no back in you know earlier on the season. Seemed like a lifetime ago. He's been horrendous recently. Hasn't pitched in two weeks. Rodon, you're our opener. Yeah, our biggest, most important game of the year. Do or die situation. We're gonna throw Rodon out there. He's pounding his chest. He's beating his chest. Yeah, would he last? Three, four innings. Carlos Correa said, you want to pound your chest? I'll pound my chest. 10-1. White Sox score the first run. 10 unanswered by the Astros. Goodbye, White Sox. Goodbye, Tony La Russa. Goodbye, bullpen. Goodbye, season. Why? Because you're piecemealing this nonsense together. Because somebody comes up with a crazy idea like Joe Madden. Hey, let's bat the pitcher eighth. That's kind of weird. Okay, I'll do that. Then other managers pick that up. Joe Madden, Kevin Cash, disciple of Joe Madden, says, okay, let's do this opener thing. Hey, it seems to work. Nah, it, it seems to work when you conveniently point it out. All right? More times than not, it doesn't work because you're draining your bullpen. And in the non-softball world that we're in right now, okay? Well, you know what I mean by that, right? Softball world, a girl's softball where you put the runner at second base, all right? Because you don't have long extra inning affairs anymore. That's out the window now. So now with opener, this game could go 12, 13, 14, 18 innings tonight. It could. And what are you doing? You're burning your bullpen from the outset. From the outset of the most important game. And what is Dave Roberts' reasoning for this? What is it? Beginning the winner-take-all game five with Corey Knable and not Julio Urias. Okay? Urias, is he injured? No. Knable will serve as the opener, paving the way for Urias to handle the bulk of the innings. Get this. In relief. He's going to come in in the second or the third inning. He's already planned this. Somebody help me out here. Sledgehammer over the head. I don't get it. Wait, he's good enough to start. But he's good enough to come in in the second or the third inning to give you a bulk of the innings. What is the mindset here? What is the thinking here? I don't understand it. Is he good enough to come in 
and save you after you, you're behind two or three or four nothing, which could happen, but the Giants are fast starters. Man, it'll be interesting to, to, to check all this stuff out tonight. Dodgers-Giants, game number five. Looking forward to that. All right. Raiders. Let's get an update with the Raiders here. And, um, you know, yesterday we heard from Mike Mayock. We told you that, um, you know, while we were on the air, the press conference was um, going on with Rich uh, Basaccia. And uh, so we thought we would give you some audio from Rich Basaccia uh, uh, today uh, to hear from him for the very first time. As you know, taking over for John Gruden, new leader, so to speak, new voice for the Raiders with Gruden gone. Basaccia has been there for quite some time. It did make some sense to go with him as your interim head coach instead of Gus Bradley, okay, in instead of Greg Olson, the uh, Raiders offensive coordinator, because uh, this guy has been there. He, technically, he held the title of assistant head coach for John Gruden. So we got a chance to hear from him, his thoughts. Here is his message to the team as they met for the very first time yesterday. Before we talk about our team or our game at Denver, I feel it's important to acknowledge the significance of this moment. Coach Gruden gave me a chance to coach in the National Football League. I'll always be appreciative of that. That being said, we all have a responsibility here and have to be held to be accountable to our words and our actions. No one person is bigger than the Raider Shield. The Raiders have always stood for diversity, inclusion, social justice. It's important to live those ideals and carry them into the future. We cannot change the past, but we can do more to maybe make tomorrow better. All right, Rich, Rich Basaccia with his opening statement. Uh, fielded questions yesterday at the press conference as well, too. And uh, Rich uh, Basaccia talking about what his message early on to his team is. Um, the, you know, the, the time thing certainly is, is it ever a good time, you know, when it happens like this? I think the thing that's unique to us is we have a good team. We're a three-and-two team. It's, it's not like we've gone through some type of a bad cycle and – all of a sudden, there's been a change, and it's the end of the season, and the season's over. There are 12 games. We feel like we have a lot of time. We feel like all our goals are still in front of us. And uh, my message to the team was really about um, the team and them. Their goals are still alive, uh, and we'll see what transpires as we go forward. But I don't think that the time was a big issue, particularly because of the staff that we have. Defense continuity has been getting a long time. I've certainly been with Greg some time on offense. I understand what, to some degree, what we're doing on offense. Coach Cable's been in this a long time, so we have veteran coaches, and so I think what the time did is it, it gave us a little bit of a um, stumbling block in the beginning. We certainly had to go through this as well, and then I think it was everybody got back to work as usual. All right, there he is, Rich Pisaccio. Okay, uh, talking a little bit more about uh, the timeline here. Um, he addressed. The you know when he got the news that he would actually be taking over and talking about what transpired with uh, John Gruden, the time that the emails broke, Gruden's message to the team or meeting with the team on Friday morning, and then uh, after Gruden was uh, told that uh, he was going to be let go, uh, here's Basaccia talking about the time frame here. You know the, the first one that came out. Obviously, everyone has opinions. Um, 
that they're all entitled to. Our players had conversations, obviously, at that time with, with Coach. But I, uh, we, we didn't perform well in the game. Uh, I don't really like to use different vernacular. We, we just did not perform well. We did not execute well. We didn't do anything well enough to win the game. And then, um, to be honest with you, after that, uh, the loss, um, you, you go through whatever that is. And we met on Monday. Um, as usual, we had special teams meeting and had the whole team in there. And then we had a team meeting, offensive defense met. And then it wasn't later that we discovered, or like everyone else, kind of what happened. And so um, at that particular time, I'm, my humanistic qualities are really like everybody else. Uh, so is our coaches. And uh, it just kind of hit us all. And then after that, it just, it's a little bit of a blur. Um, next thing you know, a little bit later at night that, you know, I'm talking to the owner and after that, our biggest concern was to get a hold of our players. All position coaches call the players and let's kind of tell them what's going on. They've already seen stuff on internet and whatever else that, that's out there. And, and uh, so we just wanted to get a, our voices to them and, and, and tell them we'd see them on Wednesday morning. All right, not an easy situation for Rich Passaccia to take over. Not an easy situation for these players, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna take some time. And we don't know how this team is gonna react as they get ready for Denver uh, again. John Gruden gone, his voice, his leadership gone. How players feel, uh, we really don't know. Most of the players are not speaking like. I've said b- before, I'm just really curious of what the black players feel like knowing that the racial connotations and the emails that John Gruden was involved with, with Bruce Allen. And then, you know, Carl Nassib had to take the day off yesterday. He said he needed a personal day. Obviously, Carl Nassib, uh, this hits close to home with him because the first openly gay player in the NFL happens to play for the Raiders. And then you hear uh, a comment uh, or emails that even though it was years ago, that he hears that his head coach, John Gruden, who said that he had supported him in the past uh, when, when this story broke, and we heard Gruden even talk about it. You know, that he supports Carl Nassib, it's great, this and that. You know, he's fine w- with all this. But it's, it's contradictory. It's contrary to what Gruden said in these emails to Bruce Allen, talking about, you know, Michael Sam and, you know, why is Roger Goodell, uh, you know, trying to pressure Jeff Fisher and the Rams, who was the head coach at that time, into drafting as he used the – the term queers, referring to Michael Sam. So Carl Nassib, he's affected. He had to take a personal day off yesterday. We don't know what this locker room really is all about. When we talked to Heidi Fang yesterday, she didn't get the sense either. Darren Waller spoke. We heard from Josh Jacobs You know, going back uh, you know, Monday. Uh, and not a lot of the players are really talking much about this. So tough time, tough locker room. The leader of this team, obviously, is the Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr. Here's what he had to say with the coaching change. A lot of emotions, obviously. Um, didn't see all of this coming. I don't think any of us did. It just caught us, caught us all by surprise, you know. Um, uh, but uh, there will be a day for those feelings. There will be a day and a time uh, to talk about all that, you know. And I'll get into some of it if you have more questions. But uh, from an emotional standpoint, I got a job to do. And uh, that's never changed. No matter who the coach is, no matter who's on the team with me, um, I have a job to do, and that's to lead these men, especially now. They need a leader more than ever. And uh, my job is to lead them with my actions like I always have um, and my voice, just trying to be a strong voice for people to continually bring people together and continually push people in the right direction. And um, We're 3-2. and two. Um, You know, We have everything out in front of us that we've wanted from the beginning. Um, it's not going to be with the same room of people. 
um, which is hard. But at the same time, nobody cares, you know, and you know how that goes. Uh, you know, I think that for me, uh, just the message today was I, I just tried to push everything off. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sick about it. Uh, have a lot of emotions, angry, sick, you know, upset, mad, frustrated, all, all those things, empathy, you know, whatever, you know, all, no one has a, I don't think there's a book on how to handle all this, you know, um, or uh, actually there is, but I don't think, I don't think that there's a, a way for a quarterback to stand up here and answer these type of questions is what I should say. Um, but for me, my message today was we have a job to do. So uh, it's Wednesday. If we're still in our feelings, it's too late. We got to move on. All right, Derek Carr speaking. All right, a little more from Derek Carr. It was a lot, you know, to handle. I'll say it that way. <laughs> like, uh, y'all know me, man. I don't, I don't condone that kind of talk. I don't talk that way. My kids, sure as heck, will never talk that way, you know. And, uh, you know, it's hard because I love the man so much. You know what I mean? Like, I have family members that have done things. I've done things that. I'm glad that I'm still loved, you know, and uh, I think more than anything, coach needs people to help him, to love him, you know, uh, um, in, in whatever areas, you know, that we can. But at the same time, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong, you know. And, uh, you know, did I, did I, I've never seen something like this happen. And so you don't know, like, the precedent. Like, I don't, saying, like, I don't know, is he going to suspend it? Is it a fine? I, I don't know. I'm not good at figuring those kind of things out. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but when that came out, I mean, shortly after my wife sent it to me, you know, I was getting ready studying and stuff. She sent it to me. I read it, and it's about time I got done reading it. It was over, you know, I'm like, and he resigned. And um, so you could imagine there's a lot going on in my head. Um, and again, I'll, I'll probably get more into it someday about everything that went down. Um, for me, uh, but but again, y'all know I got a job to do, and I got. Uh, it wasn't his fault that we, you know, didn't play well on the field. You know, we, we as players, the last two weeks, we haven't been good enough. So, um, you know, that's not on him. That's on us. You know, we got to play better this week and get a win, especially against a good defense. You know, aside from coaches, John Gruden was, and Derek Carr had the closest relationship of a player coach than anybody else. They had been together the longest. Gruden is a quarterback guy, as we know. Started off as a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator. And a lot of talk was made over the last few seasons. Should you move away from Derek Carr? And he stuck with Derek Carr. Heck, they were neighbors, all right? Have houses next door to each other here in Vegas. So this this is going to – this hurts Derek Carr. There's no question about that. And this locker room, I'm not – going to say it's divided because everyone's on the same page here but it's just it's shocked I think a lot of guys are still in shock and now you got a short work week you got to get on the road to Denver how is this team going to respond only time will tell but going to play in the high altitude you're playing against a familiar opponent but you're playing a Denver Broncos team that is pretty good and the Raiders have struggled offensively going back last week against the Bears they struggled mightily offensively Carr struggled how is he going to fare against this Denver defense, which really is a strength of his team, specifically that secondary? So a lot of question marks. And we'll hopefully we'll get those answers. We'll see how the Raiders respond on Sunday. 
All right, tonight we've got Thursday Night Football. We look forward to that because it's the Buccaneers. Anytime we get a chance to see Tom Brady and company, that's good against Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to break that down, and we're going to go to Philly. Go to South Philly right now when we talk to T.J. Reeves when we come back. The Bucks sideline reporters, we preview Bucks eagles tonight. T.C. Martin. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in. In. Ah, uh, yeah, one of my favorite spots. Little South Philly, Motown Philly. There it is. And uh, there he is, ladies and gentlemen. I've uh, got my Zoom here looking at T.J. Reeves standing by the Rocky Balboa statue on the steps. I need to see T.J. Reeves run up those steps like I have many a time. But the bigger question is, does he have the Philly cheesesteak in hand from Pat's or Geno's? He is T.J. Reeves, the Bucks sideline reporter, and we get ready tonight for Bucks and Eagles in the city of brotherly love. What's going on, my man? Always good to be with my initials, brother, including for a little Thursday night football. The update is, yes, the cheesesteak has already been consumed uh, earlier today. Uh, Bruno Brothers was right by the hotel. So Bruno Brothers makes a pretty good cheesesteak. So we had that earlier in the day. For the record, in the Lincoln Financial Field press box for the media food, it is shrimp, of which your guest on the phone is allergic. So I will not be partaking in any of that. This evening we will find something else to eat so that I don't end up in the emergency room by halftime tonight. But otherwise, good to be with you. Beautiful night here in Philadelphia. It's going to be in the uh, the mid to upper 60s uh, for this one tonight. And there might be a little bit of interest in Brady and the Buccaneers against the Eagles. Okay, let's rewind. Shrimp, okay, you can have all the shrimp you want, but you still have to have something else for those non-shrimp-eating yes. people. Shrimp yes. boat, shrimp that, shrimp exactly. that. You know, exactly. I mean, you've got to have uh, some some type of meat or chicken or some of the variety. And, you know, here's the thing. At Sunday's Raiders-Bears game, do you know what they had uh, for the halftime meal there? They had jumbo, jambalaya. No, they I was went. Gonna say they have Chicago hot dogs. Why do they have jambalaya? Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was my thing. Are now they did have hot dogs, but they were the Chicago dogs. So I, uh, you know, reverted over to the other side of the room to get the uh, the dogs on the rotisserie thing, like you see at a gas station at the AM PM. And I'm always afraid of that because you never know how long <laughs> those things have been on that rotisserie. And if you remember the old Seinfeld episode when they when they took over the movie theater, do you remember that episode, T.J. Reeves? You know? I, I'm vaguely, I'm vaguely remembering that, but what, yeah. did, were the hot dogs bad? Yeah, uh, where, where in, in the Seinfeld episode? Well, the one was sitting yeah. there for about 20 years, and Kramer had it. He took over an old movie theater. Yeah, you, yeah, it was all shriveled up and everything. Numbchuck knows what I'm talking about here. Those Seinfeld diehards, they know what I'm talking about. But yeah, jambalaya, and so I had to pass, uh, you know, for that. So I, I know what you're saying here, but these these NFL stadiums. You know, with the press box here. I mean, they, they've got to give us a little bit more variety, I think. They think they're trying to do us a solid, but they're not doing us a solid, especially if we don't like that stuff. Exactly. Or if you go, if you have to stay away from it, that is the case. But, hey, uh, the audience, the massive 
uh, audience here for the T.C. Martin Show did not tune in simply oh. to hear my dietary problems and issues. I know you want to break down some of this game no, and listen, everything else that's listen, going listen. on. So which way do you want to go? Well, let me, t- let me tell you. Okay, you sound in a hurry, but let me tell you. I, the, the, this show is based on food, as you well know. Now, I need to well, ask you back to the, the, the Bruno Brothers. Was yep. it the white American cheese or was it the yep. phony bologna cheese sauce on top? No, no, no. It was white. It was white American cheese slices at, uh, and and it's the Italian Di Di Bruno Brothers, uh, right by the. I mean, I kept. I asked. I said, "Where do I get a good Philly cheese? Where do I get a good sandwich?" And they said, "Right down here, the Bruno Brothers." And so I, I went in there. They had a decent uh, line, which is always. I mean, it's always good that that means a lot of people were there eating. That means the food must be good. So I waited about uh, eight, ten minutes, and there we go. Got the Philly cheese, got the peppers, got the onions, nice. and survived all that and lived to tell the story. So it's good that I had that earlier today and yes. was not expecting that tonight. That a boy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Buccaneers and the oh, Eagles. Yeah, that, the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah there, 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 there is a game. Well, listen to you. I mean, you're the guy that's always you're driving us off the left side of the road anyway without an exit, okay? I mean, that's you. And now you're sitting there trying to tell you, oh, let's get to the game. Let's get to the game. Dude, we're three hours away from the game. And why you're there so early is beyond me. I have no idea. What the heck because do you need to be there I that early to, for? I had, to make, I had to make sure that I was not battling the combat traffic in the afternoon drive in Philadelphia <laughs> trying to get to this complex so that I could be on the galactically popular T.C. Martin yeah, show. Yeah, so I am yeah. in position, present, and accounted for to be on during okay. this segment at the time you needed me. Right. I'm here. That's good. I, I appreciate that. I called for uh, you know, the the Philadelphia cheesesteak establishment, but instead I got Lincoln Financial Field, but that's okay. Yeah, and, and I know that stadium very well. I know you know where it's located, everything. No no traffic jam at this hour right now. So there you go. Uh, I beg to differ. Well, now it is. Right yeah, the, it's it's 5.41. I'm looking right at the interstate at a little after 5.30 in the it east, and there's not anybody on this interstate getting home before 7 p.m. <laughs> You're right. I can assure you, I can assure you that. And the interesting thing uh, is that Lincoln Financial Field is on the same complex property with Citizens Bank Park, which is the Philly Stadium. Across the street, and actually. And, a, across, and the across the street, the street yes. from the Flyers yes. and the Sixers Arena, the Wells Fargo Arena. Yes. So they have all of that uh, blocked off with all Eagle tailgates already, and they have been getting, how shall we say, lathered up for at least a couple of hours prior to this one tonight. There's a little bit of alcohol being consumed. Yeah, and I know one one person you're not going to see. There's no Ben Simmons sighting right across the street there, the <laughs> Wells Fargo Arena. I'll tell you that, Let my me friend. Take a look. I can see the Wells Fargo Arena parking lot, and at the moment I do not see Ben Simmons. I will update you during the call. If that changes. All right, so, say hello to Ron Jaworski for me. Will you do that? There you go. <laughs> My guy. All right, brother. So here's the deal, Leo. Tom Brady, we've been hearing uh, about an injury here uh, with the hand. What can you tell us about this? Is this serious or not? The most scrutinized thumb right now in Tampa Bay, he is good. I mean, I have not seen him out here to warm up yet. That will obviously come in about 90 minutes. He's usually out about 90 minutes before the game, probably about 7 Eastern time something like that, but from everything we can gather from people that saw him throw the ball a little bit uh, at practice, uh, again, there's a lot being made of this. you got to have something to talk about. He had a bandage on it uh, when he met with the media on Tuesday and said it's fine, it will be fine. I mean, the, the first indication obviously will be, does he air one out early in the game? Do we see him throw the 20-yard, 25-yard dart downfield on an out route? Do we see him throw a bomb? 
deep to Antonio Brown or Mike Evans, that's, that's the clearest indication there's no problem with the thumb. If you see a lot of dink and dunk and not airing it out, then there you go. But from everything we've been told, he can make the throws. He'll be ready to go tonight. Uh, and he's on the throwing hand, too, as well, too. Right? Correct. It, yeah. it is the throwing thumb. He hit it on a helmet late in the, uh, in the second quarter and continued to play in the game. Much to the chagrin of the Dolphins, Tom Brady supposedly got an injured thumb and he still throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns on you after hurting it earlier in the game. So that was an impressive performance uh, last weekend, and let's see if the Buccaneers can follow it up in, uh, in this one tonight. I mean, I, I think the biggest, the biggest part of this game is can they protect him? Can they keep him upright? If they give him time and protect him, the Bucks are lethal with the receivers. It's just going to be a matter of whether the Eagles can keep up scoring-wise. Now, if they can get pressure on Brady, if the Buccaneers have a turnover or two, Philadelphia can absolutely win this game. So the Bucks cannot self-inflict, and you've got to protect TB12. You know, Brady leading the leading the top ranked passing offense that we've seen with the Bucks here. But a little scary is, and if you do like the Eagles here, you know, you got Darius Slay, who's leads the league in interceptions, was phenomenal last week against Carolina. And really when you point at the strength of Philadelphia, it really is their secondary here. How do you think that Brady and these dynamic receivers that the Bucks have, of course Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, yep. and Antonio Brown, yep. how do they match up with Slay in the secondary? That's advantage Buccaneers because Slay can't cover all three of them, obviously, so they're going to have some issues uh, tonight. And the Eagles got riddled two weekends ago by the Kansas City Chiefs in this building with all their weapons, Tyreek Hill, uh, Hardman, uh, Travis Kelsey on trying to cover and, and had trouble putting pressure on the quarterback. Now, they were better against Sam Darnold last week with the three interceptions that you're talking about. Again, this is not Sam Darnold that you're going against. Uh, tonight, and in particular, if the Buccaneers can get the lead in the first half of this game and dictate, and that's what they were able to do. I mean, they they were behind 10-7 against the Dolphins. Then they rattled off 17 straight points in the second quarter, and from there on, they dictated the rest of the game with what they wanted to do with play action and that kind of stuff. So that's going to be another factor. Do the Bucks get out to the lead, or does, does the Philly crowd get in their face uh, here tonight? The Eagles. I mean, all I, all I have heard since last night and, and getting here today is that they've won six straight games on Thursday night football. There's a trend for you. Six consecutive times they've won on Thursday night football. Now, I have pointed out to more than one that's brought that up. When you're constantly playing the bad NFC East, Redskins, or now Washington football team, Giants, Cowboys, it's a little easier to win six straight on Thursday night than if you're playing the Buccaneers, the Patriots, the Saints, the Steelers, the Seahawks. So, uh, And and the other part is the, the Buccaneers have played – a couple of narrow primetime games, the win over the Cowboys on Thursday night. I talked to you that night prior to the opener. And then the narrow win over the Patriots. They're both wins, but they were both close games. So everybody everybody is feeling the love on the Eagles with the seven points here at home because of their, their Thursday night mojo and the Buccaneers having some issues covering. All right, and you can also you know talk about this. I know some people have pointed this out as well. They you go back to last season, and the Buccaneers lost when they're in this exact same situation where they lost on right. a short week. How, how much credence do you put into that? I think it has to have some. In that case, I put more credence in Khalil Mack, who was destroying the Buccaneer line and sacked Tom Brady twice. They got to him like four or five times in that game, Khalil Mack is not walking through that door for the Philadelphia Eagles coming up in this one tonight. So they, they've got to come up 
with some kind of pass rush through blitz or whatever it is uh, for this matchup this evening. But, yes, I mean, they didn't play particularly well, and it was a weird game. The Bucks had a yeah. couple of turnovers. They were actually winning early, but they had a couple of turnovers. Mack had a big sack fumble later in the game. Brady lost track of the downs, remember, and had the four yep. fingers up in the second half and got ridiculed for that. Uh, no fans at that game, so it was, it was very weird. And you're right. I mean, they, they have got to shake off whatever the, the primetime mojo is, because they also lost on Sunday night to the Saints at home a year ago and lost on Monday night at home to the L.A. Rams a year ago. So primetime hasn't exactly been the friend previously, but they do have two wins this year over the Cowboys and the Patriots in primetime, the Bucks. Yeah, and what TJ's referring to, that game against the Saints was opening night, Brady's first game with the Bucks, and the game you're referring to, the Thursday night, what I brought up with Khalil Mack and the Bears where they lost that game. I think it was 20-19 to 19 was the final. Or it, was very, it was a weird game, uh, like you said, but that was early on in the season as well, too, and this Buccaneers team obviously much different now than they were earlier on last season. TJ Reeves is with us at Lincoln Financial Field, Philadelphia, for tonight's game between the Bucks and the Eagles. Uh, the injury front, uh, big uh, question mark here is people want to know about Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Gronk hurt, uh, ribs. What's the story? Will he play or not? Not here. Did not make the trip. Okay. So, And that was not unexpected because they had been saying they're still aiming for the Chicago game. They're concerned about the punctured lung that he suffered, not just the, bro- or the broken rib, and air travel until that thing is fully healed. You want to be careful with cabin pressure going up, coming down, you know, flying back, going up, coming down. So they're going to give him an extra 10 days of rest here for the Bears game. He was able to do some things in practice uh, midweek this week on Tuesday, Wednesday. So that's a, that's a good sign for him to potentially play next week. Buccaneers also out with, without star linebacker Levante David, who is going to be another key uh, in, this, in this game if you're the Eagles because that's a guy that not only helps stop the run – but he would be there uh, to chase around Jalen Hurts through this game. So Levante David sprained ankle. He's out. He did not make the trip either. Hurt the ankle in the game with the Dolphins last week. So that's two big injuries uh, for the Buccaneers to try to overcome tonight. And uh, Antoine Winfield as well, too, right? Out with the Correct. concussion. And that he's big in the secondary. Yeah, and the, and the Bucks are without three starters from the beginning of the year in the secondary without Winfield, without Carlton Davis, without your guy Sean Murphy Bunting, who got hurt in the first game with the Cowboys. So Richard Sherman... Once again, it's been a pleasant surprise. He's had to step in uh, at this point and play a bunch. He played the entire game against New England, and he played virtually the entire game against Miami, even in a 38-17, 45-17 game. Bruce Arians kept saying to him, do you want out? Do you want out? And he said, no, I want to keep playing. So they kept him in until the final, final drive, basically the final six minutes. So expect Richard Sherman to play a bunch again out of necessity tonight of the primetime lights. And let's see if the Eagles try to go after him a little bit. Let's see if... If he's on Devontae Smith or uh, or Rieger, the other the other receiver, the TCU receiver, uh, do they try to throw at him? Do they try to throw long at him in this game? That'll be another thing to keep an eye on. All right, and the Eagles coming off that come from behind win where they trailed throughout the entire game last week against Carolina, came back and they got the victory. Eagles now sit at two and three, but they're winless at home right now, and the Bucks four and one. How much uh, do you feel this is a dangerous spot? For the Bucks here, we already talked about you know the short week, the travel, not really a marquee opponent. You got the injuries that you talked about. Is this a is this a bad spot for the Bucks? Could be, but again, I, I side with Tom Brady, who's been here so many times on getting the team focused. And Bruce Arians deserves a lot of credit 
too, on having his team ready to go. But when you've got a guy that can step to the forefront and talk about preparation, mentality, focus, attention to detail, and impress upon them in that way, as he was, I'm sure, doing on Monday afternoon, Tuesday, and before they left yesterday to be ready to go with the mental reps. I mean, you can't do a lot physically. When you're the road team coming to play Thursday night, even if you were at home on Sunday, which the Bucks were, you basically got a walkthrough practice in on Tuesday. Because the other thing is you want to make sure you don't get anybody else hurt. So it's not like they did a lot physically, but mental reps, extra film study, attention to detail. I think Tom Brady takes the lead on that, on this team being focused and being locked in. And let's see if the Bucks don't do something in the, in the uh, very beginning of this game, the first drive or within the first couple of drives, to make something happen and get some good positive mojo going. Uh, and quiet the crowd down because you know this crowd's going to be all over them uh, at the beginning of this game because this is a huge game for the Eagles. Like you mentioned, they don't want to be two and four right now trying to chase the Cowboys who they've already lost to. So their, their crowd is going to be amped for this thing tonight, and you don't want to do anything wrong to get them even more amped at the beginning of the game. And the weather not a factor at all, 72 degrees, uh, no wind, no rain, really anything, right? I mean, It's gorgeous. Yeah, it so, is gorgeous and, right now. And, and I love seeing games like that in Philadelphia because we rarely see those type of games with, with picture, <laughs> picturesque weather there. So, uh, all right, good stuff. T.J. Reeves joins us live from Lincoln Financial Field. All right, it's Thursday night football. It is the Bucks. It's the Eagles. And Thursday also means... Means the TJ Reeves uh, three uh, three dog Thursday podcast, yes. right? We got to yes. lead you into that. The podcast is out, and I have to once again bow to the doctor. You are on fire, my friend. Five straight weeks, you have come on three dog Thursday. Five consecutive NFL underdog winners. Uh, four of them outright. For all intents and purposes, the Colts shoulda, coulda, woulda won that game the other night to make you five for five on outright winners. It was a cover, nonetheless. So you are rolling, and I will tease to the audience that the doctor takes a very interesting home underdog on Three Dog Thursday. So find it wherever you get podcasts to find out if you can go six for six. I mean, you're officially streaking right now. You are you are a streak maven right now with this. There are people from Vegas to Boston to Seattle uh, to to uh, to Hialeah that want to know what is the doctor's underdog pick for this week. So very interesting, uh, the NFL underdog pick that you went to. I don't, I don't know if you want to tip your hand. I'm just teasing it, but it's interesting, the home dog that you went to. Well, this is your podcast. And, again, so we'll tease people and let them go to your podcast, subscribe to the podcast, go check it out, the Three Dog Thursday podcast. TJ does a great job with that. Love being on with him with that. But you are shortchanging <laughs> me, you know. I mean, you're saying, you know, I got I got six overall because I gave you a college winner yeah. out, uh, out uh, dog the very first time, and then now you've pigeonholed me to just – uh, you know, NFL, I which is totally give, fine. Give me one game. I just say, give me yeah. one game yeah. on the no huddle. And I'm thinking most of these, most of these guys don't come back for a second week. <laughs> I can't get rid of you. You've come back for, for six straight shows. Listen. You are now officially a co-host of three dog Thursday because you keep picking winners. Well, we so, bow. So we do. The doctor. That, we bow to you. That's it. That's what we do out here, brother. That's it. You know, it's a little bit different ball game. 3000 miles away there. You know, we, we know what these point spreads are all about here, but no, it's, it's fun. We, we appreciate you. So go check that out. The three dog Thursday podcast so parting words here it's it's really strange here and people have asked me this and that's why i have to bring it up to you tj reeves listen to that right now listen everyone listen do you hear how quiet it is right now do you know how quiet tj reeves has been about since the tampa bay rays 
have been eliminated. We have not heard anything from TJ Reeves. He hasn't even alluded to it. He hasn't mentioned it. He hasn't heaped any praise on the Astros or anyone for that matter outside of the race. We're not hearing nothing from him. Why do you go radio silent baseball now? T.C. Martin, we're a football and hockey town. You know this, first and foremost, more so than the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Listen, a funny thing happened on the way to our wager for the American League Championship Series. The Rays failed to make it. So the Astros are there. As the number Uh, one seed. Remember that. Yeah, Yeah, and the Red Sox took out the Rays. Give them credit. That was a bitter pill to swallow because the Rays were looking to defend the American League title. So now... You get to root for the Disastros, and you're going to be there on scene. Hopefully you're not kryptonite for Dusty Baker <laughs> and the Astros on scene here for the ALCS. Uh, and, and really, honestly, with, with all the cheating stuff before with the Astros and the Red Sox aren't loved anywhere outside of Boston, nobody can stand them. This is like one of the least likable scenarios right now for the country, I think, Houston against Boston. All right, remember what Rocky said and Mick said to Rocky. Women weaken legs. That's right, kid. <laughs> Women weaken legs. TJ, you stay away from that. Stay away from Broad Street. Stay away from the bullies. Especially the female I bullies. Still, I still love in Rocky Three when uh, Mickey looks at him and says, you went and got civilized. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. You went and got civilized. So, so we... You know, that's something that you subscribe to as well. You try not to be civilized. But, yes, I love the Rocky theme, love the Rocky movie. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, I don't know if he's here tonight. He's been here in the past when the Buccaneers opened this stadium against the Eagles and beat them. Stallone was here that night doing the uh, the whole Rocky theme prior to the game. I don't know if he's in attendance tonight, but the Bucks will be here, my friend. All right. Look out for Adonis Creed. He might be there. T.J. Reeves, we need video of you before you get on that airplane tomorrow running the Rocky Steps. Running the steps there. I want to see it. I got my video. We, we'll compare. Let's go. We got to jog. We got to jog and yeah. see if I can make it all the way up to the top and dance around. Going to fly now. I love it. Uh-oh. I love it. Let's get a uh, Buccaneer win yeah. in all of this, and then I'm a happy dude for a happy postgame show with Bruce Arians. All know right, what I'm Have yourself a great call uh, tonight. Uh, thanks for taking the time and joining us, and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Always from my man, T.C. Martin. You boys behave in the desert. You got it. All right. Eagles flying tonight. They're getting seven, six and a half, you know, check it out, against the Brady-led Bucks. A lot of injuries in this game. We're going to break that down with Scott Spritzer next hour, Trevor Match as well, and our best bets happening today. Don't you dare go anywhere. More in store, Roger Dome, more of what you're looking for right here. Yo, Rock, cut me, Mick. Entertainment capital of the world. Rogers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Richard Rogers with a walk-off touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Play action. Has some time. Deep shot for Parker. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Oh, my goodness, the legend just goes on. The doctor is now in. How you like me now?
Hour number two here on this thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us. Remember, tomorrow we will not be at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. A little off day, but uh, the show goes on. Don't worry about that. C. Win is in for me. I will be in Houston. Get ready for games number one and two, the ALCS, the Astros and the Red Sox. Be live on location there. C. Win will be filling in. Christopher Wynn. We'll appreciate that. And uh, I'll be joining from Minute Maid Park for a segment uh, tomorrow. But uh, just FYI, we'll be back at the Cosmopolitan next Friday. So what we're doing, we're taking the best bets and we're moving up a day. So, yes, you get the uh, glorious honor to listen to the best bets today, this afternoon. So hang tight for that. That's coming a little bit later on in this hour. Scott Spritzer will join us. And our guest right now, who does a fantastic job with the college football, with ESPN. And, of course, you can hear him on your radio probably all day, all night on Saturdays as he is just entrenched with 72 televisions, uh, breaking it down, losing his voice, getting uh, energized, getting hydrated uh, for the marathon there. And, of course, you see him on SportsCenter and everywhere else. He is Trevor Maddich. Trev, what is happening, my man? T.C. Martin, man, fired up for another big weekend of college football. You got to love it. You know, so I, I know how, you know, your schedule is so crazy, you know, with the weekend and you're doing your homework and then Saturday you got the marathon stuff. You got sports centers leading up to that and everything. Uh, give us the, the Trevor Maddich. Is it kind of like an NFL, you know, uh, player, you know, when you were playing back in the day that, okay, you get done with Sunday's game and Monday you kind of have that rest day, traditionally a Tuesday off day, and then Wednesday, boom, you're back at practice and you're getting refocused for, for the opponent or, in this case, the upcoming week? Yeah, I wish. It's, not, it's, not nearly that. it's just a blur. That's, that's what my wife and I have called it for forever. It's just the blur. Once the season starts the end of August until it's over, you know, in uh, in January, it, it's a blur. And so, no, there is no day off. And when I think I have time to run off and see a movie or something, often I'll get a call from the sports center and say, hey, we want you on at 7 in the morning tomorrow morning. We need a breakdown on this. Can you do it? Oh, yeah, I guess I can. You know, but doing those breakdowns, those telecenter breakdowns, if you do them right, it takes an enormous amount of time. Yes. You know, you don't just find highlights and then telestrate the highlights. Look, he ran left. He ran left. Ran right. He jumped in the air. He caught the ball. Back to you, Bob. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you're looking for a storyline, you need to find the elements of the storylines, and those take a lot of time. So it is uh, it, time off is at a premium, but at the same time, I don't care. I, I am so excited to be able to do this job. I mean, to talk about football, to make a living, are you kidding? And it's such a blessing, and it's such a joy to be able to do that during the season, if it's a blur, hey, it's a blur, and I love every blurry minute of it. And I can't say enough, I mean, how much I appreciate you joining us because your schedule is you know, you gave us the 45 version, you know, there, you know, again, this is his schedule is, is crazy, and he's got pro football duties as well with the Washington football team and everything else that goes along with it. So for Trevor Manch to take the time and join us each and every week, my friend, I just uh, appreciate and our audience uh, appreciates it as well. Uh, you know what? I, I enjoy you having me on. You do a great job. You have a great show. And it's an honor for me to be here. So I, I'm sincere in saying that. I appreciate it. Okay, brother. Hey, before we get into this week, man, I want to talk about the Red River shootout rivalry. We hyped it up. We talked about it last week. 55-48. 12 touchdowns were scored in this game last week between Oklahoma and Texas. Had the Boomer Sooners. Uh, didn't Wasn't looking like they were going to cover, but they did. Uh, the first six scores of this game 
were touchdowns. That's how crazy this was. Total yardage, Oklahoma 662, Texas 516, whatever that math is. Over 1,100 yards, Trevor, nearly 1,200 yards. That's some college football. Yeah, and, and well over 100 points, too, or well, yeah. like 103 points. Right. So, yeah, and we're not going overtime, TC. That's it right. was absolutely – and the thing is, the drama is what made this game. I mean, it was definitely a track meet. There was a lot of action. You couldn't blink or you'd miss a big play. But the drama is the key because Texas jumps out to a big lead in this game. They were up 28-7 to at the end of the first quarter. And then everybody was talking about – how Texas is back and Oklahoma is in trouble and Spencer Rattler can't play and, you know, all these different things. And then all of a sudden, Lincoln Riley of of Oklahoma makes a switch. He takes Rattler out. He puts in the freshman backup, Caleb Williams, and all of a sudden everything flipped. And now it became a question of, on the field, could Texas hold on? And they couldn't. And every nail-biting moment of that was, will they make it? Will they do it? Nope. Turned out to get. But then there was the drama of Spencer Rattler on the sideline because Rattler, the Oklahoma quarterback, came into the season as the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. He was one of the guys that signed all these massive uh, name, image, and likeness deals, making a lot of money as a Sooner starting quarterback in the Heisman discussion every week, and he got himself benched. And who knows who's going to start this week? We don't even know. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy game. And then we got to talk about Alabama, Trevor. First loss in two years. Uh, Texas A&M defeats Bama 41-38 in front of 106,815. And, uh, again, you know, I was, I was there just uh, a couple months ago going on that field, and then I just was thinking to myself, like, man, it would really be cool to see a game here as I was standing on that field. And then I'm watching that game last night. I'm going, I was there. I wish I was there tonight, though, because that night, because it was so electric to see the Gigham faithful, the 12th man, and to see A&M pull off that upset. Uh, what went wrong for Alabama in that game? And... Is this going to happen again with Alabama at some point in time this season? What went wrong, TC, is that a a space alien tractor beam body snatched (laughs) Alabama's defensive players and replaced them in their uniforms with guys that didn't know the game plan. That must be what happened. Because Alabama's defense was kind of up and down up until the Ole Miss game two weeks ago, right? Where, I guess, better competition, they were okay, but they got pushed around some. And then they stomped a mud hole in Ole Miss. I mean, they were viciously physical against Ole Miss and just shut them down. And I thought, okay, Bama's back. And then against Texas A&M, you had guys miss assignments. You had guys making metal errors, poor execution. I mean, there was one play where two A&M receivers on the left side just crossed. The outside guy went inside. The inside guy came outside. That happens all the time. The two Bama defenders ran into each other. One of them fell down. The other one regained his balance but couldn't do anything about a deep pass down the left sideline after that. It's just, it was comical. And those kinds of things happen from time to time to everybody in a game. But it happens so often to Alabama's defense that I put them at number five in my power five, uh, my power ranking uh, this week, Alabama, and I'm not going to put them back in the top four until I feel like I can trust their defense because I am just not accustomed to seeing Alabama's defense be this unreliable. 
Now, what happens this week? Is Alabama coming off a loss? Usually their money coming off a loss, favored by 17 against Mississippi State in Starkville. And we saw what happened last year. I mean, Alabama smoked them, and you know, Mike Leach basically, it didn't matter. They, they, Nick Saban was ready for this. How does Alabama fare this week? I would not want to be Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Hell hath no fury like a Nick Saban team who just lost a game. And I think they're going to come out and play the best game of their lives against Mississippi State. The thing is, if, if Alabama just came out and played a normal game, Mississippi State would have a chance to move the ball. Now, I don't think they'd win. I think Alabama would win comfortably. But Mike Leach is a fantastic coach, and he understands how to game plan. And if he's got the right guys, he can move the ball against almost anybody. And this Alabama defense has a lot of flaws right now and a lot of issues. But I think they're going to come out so so physical that I don't know that the Bulldogs will be able to withstand the onslaught. So I'm not worried about Alabama this week. However, Alabama has not lost two regular season games in a row since 2007, Nick Saban's first season. So if Mississippi State does pull off the upset, it will be of seismic proportion. Right. Trevor Maddich joins us, ESPN, talking a little college football this weekend. The number one team in the land, the Georgia Bulldogs, at home against Kentucky, who's been getting a little bit of love. And then Kentucky, you know, blast uh, LSU last week. Uh, Georgia, a 23-point choice in this one, my friend. Uh, Underdog, any shot in this one? You know, everybody has a shot, right? Everybody has a chance. The thing about Kentucky is that they don't have Georgia's talent top to bottom, but Georgia, uh, Kentucky is actually pretty good at the things that they need to do in order to, to manufacture a chance. On offense, for example, they're really good at moving the point of attack. In other words, instead of always trying to blast through the Georgia front and those monsters inside, they're really good at various kinds of screen passes that they can throw the ball outside and just move the point of attack away from that brick wall inside. They're really good at finding the one-on-one matchup, and that's important. Uh, you know, against Florida, for example, there was a run play to the left. It was called a run play to the left, just a straight handoff. But the quarterback threw it out to the wide receiver standing on the sideline to the right. Why? Because the Kentucky quarterback, Will Levis, saw pre-snap as his receiver, Wandale Robinson, motioned out to the right. Only one defender went out there with him in man coverage, and that guy gave him about 10 yards of cushion. So while everybody else thought it was a run, the quarterback threw the ball out to, to his receiver, and his receiver gained about, I don't know, about 15 yards. Easy plays, easy yards. Kentucky's good at finding this, and I really think that that's going to be part of the key because 11-on-11, Kentucky isn't going to have much of a chance if they try to play Georgia's game. But if they can isolate to one-on-one or two-on-two and get the ball away from the Georgia defensive lineman, then I think that they've got a chance. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to win. That means that their chance then begins there, and they will still need perfect execution in order to keep this thing close. Because Kentucky is legitimate. They're really good. But Georgia is otherworldly on defense. No doubt about it. All right. We will see what happens here if Kentucky can keep it close in this game. Another game, Trevor, is Oklahoma State and Texas. This is pretty intriguing considering what Texas is coming off of that, uh, you know, harrowing loss, even though, like you said, they put up all kinds of yardage, 516. They were able to really kind of move the ball at will 
against Oklahoma, but the defense definitely had some breakdowns. They're a little suspect. And Oklahoma State really has not played that tough a competition. Texas is at home. They're giving up five. Give me some thoughts. Well, thoughts are the Big 12 really needs Oklahoma State to win this thing because Texas already has a couple of losses now, and Oklahoma just beat them, right? So what the Big 12 needs is for the only remaining undefeated team in the conference to remain undefeated at Oklahoma State until they play Oklahoma in the regular season because they need Oklahoma to get as much juice as possible in order to get into the playoff. Or Oklahoma State, if they're able to win out, to have as much juice as possible for the playoff. The thing is, Oklahoma, for all the fireworks of the, the Red River showdown and their win over Texas last week, they still have not looked like a dominant team. The committee could watch them play and say, yeah, well, you know, they're undefeated, but they don't look like one of the four best teams in the country. They're undefeated just getting by by the skin of their teeth week after week. And they need quality wins where they look dominant and not just barely pull it out. Oklahoma State will give them that kind of an opportunity. And if Texas beats Oklahoma State, then all of a sudden the Sooners lose a whole bunch of juice in what could be a playoff run. And with with Clemson and the ACC pretty much out of the playoff run, with the Pac-12 barely hanging on to a potential playoff berth, teams like Cincinnati, teams like not just the second team in the SEC, but a second team in the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big 10, uh, would have a better chance to get in. But Oklahoma or Oklahoma State would be a big impediment to those dreams. Hmm. All right, Trevor, let's talk a little bit about uh, a couple games tomorrow night. And here we go again. Seems like every week we're talking about Clemson. And it's not in the sense that we're talking about Clemson as, you know, being at the top here, number one team. It's always, well, when is Clemson going to turn this thing around? They're on the road. They're at Syracuse. They're playing tomorrow. What do we expect is this finally going to be the Dabo Sweeney team that we would expect to see against Syracuse and put 45 or 55 on the board, or is it just a bad year for Clemson all the way around? Yeah, if they do do that, I'll be mad at them. Because then why didn't they do it before? Right. You know, Because the problem with Clemson's offense is not really fixable in a single year. Their offensive line is playing a lot of young guys and guys that are just overmatched. And they'll get a little better as the season goes on. But it's not like the problem with Ohio State's defense in September. Really talented guys, but they had a lot of new starters, a lot of young guys for the Buckeyes' defense that were filling in for injured starters. And they had a lot of mental errors that were out of position a lot. But then that's the kind of thing you can fix because you, you clean up the mental errors. You make sure they understand where to stand and who to look at. And you can fix that stuff. If you're just not good enough, it's hard to fix that. And so the offensive line for Clemson has set up a chain reaction that has really impeded the, the progress of quarterback D.J. Oyunglele because, you know, they don't have a good running game. They don't have good pass protection. And so Uyunglele is uncomfortable in the pocket, and he plays like it. Even when he then gets good protection, he's skittish. He's getting the ball out in, you know, to places that he doesn't need to throw it because he's not taking the time he needs when he does have. Pretty good protection to throw. He'll throw inaccurate passes. He'll throw with poor technique because he's worried about having to bug out, even when he doesn't have to bug out, right? So, you know, this is not all DJ's fault. It's, you know, it starts with the offensive line. The problem with this matchup tomorrow night that you mentioned, TC, is that Syracuse has a really good defense. I mean, they're, they're really kind of stout. And as a team, Syracuse over the last few years has generally given Clemson a lot of trouble. And that's with Trevor Lawrence, right? And now they go up to the Dome, 
in Syracuse. And even though Clemson had a week off, they're coming off a of bye week, so that's that's at least good. They can get settled in. They're still going to have a hostile environment. They're going to be playing a team that can cause them trouble. And I, I would be really surprised if the Clemson offense went off. Um, I almost picked this game with the under, for goodness sake. I, I didn't end up doing it because of the possibility coming off a bye that Clemson could finally get some stuff. Plus, they have Justin Ross, wide receiver, uh, who's been banged up a little bit uh, for the last few weeks. It looks like he'll be back and healthy and ready to go. Uh, and that might make a difference. But for Clemson, you know, if they fix this problem, they will have had to have taken an offensive line that can't block very well and turned them into one who does in a two-week span. All right, looking forward to that uh, tomorrow night. Another game tomorrow night with the same point spread, basically. We've got Clemson 13.5 at Syracuse. Is Oregon 13.5 against Cal? This Cal team has been a pretty good covering machine. They've been keeping games close. Uh, and now you you, you got uh, Oregon, and they're traveling up to Eugene. Give me some thoughts about the Ducks. The Ducks are a bit banged up. Um, part of the problem is, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, they're all world defensive end slash linebacker. You know, he's been banged up for a while. He missed the Ohio State game and not having him makes a big difference because he's just such an individual offense wrecking ball, right? He just all by himself, he'll just, he'll just destroy what you're trying to do on offense. It'll change the way you have to game plan. And he's played the last few weeks, but he hasn't looked like he's had that burst of that explosiveness. So that matters. They lost their starting running back, CJ Burdell, a couple weeks ago. He's out for the year now. Now, Travis Dye, who's the backup, actually kind of a co-starter, is actually also a very good running back. He averages probably about six yards a carry, uh, and he's good. But now instead of rotating in and staying fresh, he's going to have to carry most of the load. And so how he's able to handle it will make a a big difference towards whether or not Oregon is is able to continue on. Now, they're they're heavily favored in this game. I mean, ESPN's FBI Football Power Index says that Oregon has a 91% chance to win this game. 91%. Okay, so I don't know that, that Cal's going to be a threat to Oregon in this mm-hmm. game. The real key will be how does the defense continue to come together if Kayvon Thibodeau is not himself going forward, and how is the running back able to adjust, or running game, able to adjust without C.J. Burdell? Because Oregon is still in the playoff hunt. They've only lost one game. And if they win out and win the Pac-12, Think about this. If Ohio State wins out and wins the Big Ten, you've got both of them as one-loss conference champions, but Oregon will have the head-to-head over Ohio State. And they beat him without Kayvon Thibodeau on the field. He was in street clothes. So, you know, this is what the Pac-12 needs. They need Oregon to beat Cal, look good, and continue on, but they really need to continue to develop their chemistry with a banged-up roster. All right, one more I want to hit you with here. Uh, Iowa's playing Purdue. Iowa's uh, favored by 11.5, and we know Iowa, they have been phenomenal this year. Uh, They came back from behind to beat Penn State last week, 23-20 in another wild game. Iowa scored the final 13 points in this contest. Trevor, what are your thoughts about Iowa? Because there are still people out there that are non-believers. Iowa, you believe in or not? No, I believe in their defense. But their offense is nothing like it. It's like the reverse of Oklahoma from a few years ago, where Oklahoma had a national championship caliber offense, Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback back-to-back in Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. But their defense was so bad that they lost playoff games anyway. They'd score 42 and lose kind of a thing. And so it looks like Iowa is kind of the opposite way, where their defense is clearly national championship caliber. I mean, the way that they generate takeaways is – 
really fun to watch. They do it as a team where one guy will, will break something down and then the ball carrier will be a little bit off balance or out of kilter in some way. The next guy will continue it. and The third guy will, will get the takeaway, right? It's, it's such a team effort the way they work. But on offense, their feature back, Tyler Goodson, has only averaged about three and a half yards per carry in each of the last three games. And one of those games was Colorado State. And so their running game has not been up to championship level. And they're hanging their hat offensively on the arm of quarterback Spencer Petras. And he has come through. He's done, he's done better than a lot of people expected. But if you want to win at the highest level, then you've got to have an offense that can eventually keep up and attract me because eventually you're going to have to do that because you're going to have to play a team like an Ohio State or an Alabama that can score a whole lot of points in a hurry, even against very good defenses. So uh, I, I've got Iowa at number three this, this week. Uh, excuse me, at number four. I was at number four. Part of that is, you know, who else? But part of that also is that I don't, I, I'm still not trusting their offense, and they would have lost, I think, to Penn State had Penn State's quarterback not gotten hurt in the second quarter. So, you know, Iowa, it's okay to not believe in them just yet. All right, he is Trevor Manich, ESPN, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. He's got the college scene uh, covered from top to bottom and also the NFL side as well, too. We're going to do our best bets here, and Trevor's going to hang with us uh, for that, and Scott Spritzer will join us as well, too. Of course, we do that traditionally on Fridays, but we're going to move that up uh, to uh, today uh, since I will not be here tomorrow. But before we get into that, Trevor, I want to get some thoughts on you. Obviously, the, the biggest topic in the NFL and especially here in Vegas is the Raiders situation with John Gruden, the emails. And I want your take on this because, you know, you uh, have worked with the Washington football team for a long time. You know that organization, Dan Snyder, uh, you know, very, very well. And being a former Reds, Redskin yourself, I want to get your thoughts here um, on on this whole ordeal, so to speak, because John Gruden loses his job. He, he says all of these things through emails, through Bruce Allen. So I, I imagine you know Bruce Allen very well as well, too. And then this was all part of the Washington football team investigation of what has taken place in, in, in the workplace there at Redskin Park. And I know that we're going to probably hear more and more things you know, come out of these 650,000 emails now, not just you know, John Gruden, uh, but, but other things, and who knows what's going to come out. Uh, just give me some thoughts on uh, when you heard this story and in knowing that workplace environment a little bit in Washington and knowing John Gruden like you know him. Yeah, I, I would just, just very quickly on the content of the emails, Nobody that I know would speak like that. Let's see. Nobody, nobody that I know that I trust that I respect would speak like that. You don't say that because you're mad. You know, when you're mad, you say stuff, but you don't say that. Not as regularly as Gruden said those things in those emails. So, you know, I, I absolutely condemn what Gruden said. Not only what he said, but the, but the frequency with which he said it. Um, so we start there. Now, as far as, you know, one of the things that really stands out is how many people are shaking in their boots right now that their emails might come out. You know that Gruden was probably thinking about that as, as this whole, um, you know, the, the, the way society has shifted. And when tweets have come out from, you know, 
five years ago, ten years ago, it cost people their jobs. I mean, there was a there was a girl, a high school girl, who was a cheerleader, who had I think a scholarship, a partial scholarship, to be to cheer I think at the University of Tennessee, and then a tweet came out that she said a year or two before that, and she said something that she shouldn't have said. And she ended up losing her opportunity to cheer at Tennessee. She had to go to a different school. And so whether or not that's right or wrong, everybody who has sent out in writing something that could get them canceled is scared to death. And in the NFL right now, I'll tell you, the, the, the environment in which Gruden sent those emails 10 years ago, uh, and then, you know, obviously more recent than that, but starting then, the environment was still that uh, it was a it was a good old boy network that was impregnable. It was a fortress that could not be penetrated. We cannot be held accountable for anything. So they were doing things and saying things that were wildly inappropriate if they got into polite society. Some of those things are not necessarily bad. They're just crude. Some of them were crude and bad, like what John Gruden did. My point is this, that everybody that was sending emails back and forth in the Washington organization and all over the NFL now knows that if they said anything like Gruden did, and a lot of them have, that they are just a revelation away from losing their career and losing their reputation. And so there are a lot of people right now that are saying, man, I'm glad it's him and it's not me, but... They're hoping like crazy that information doesn't get released down the road that will make it them. And the story will continue to develop, and I'm sure we're going to find more and more uh, coming out of uh, these emails as well. All right. Trevor Maddich, ESPN, great stuff. Best bets on the horizon coming up next. We'll talk to Scott Spritzer. We'll give you our three best college plays, three best NFL coming up next. T.C. Martin showing us thunderous Thursday. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. All right, a little Thursday Night Football coming your way tonight. Uh, we already checked in with T.J. Reeves live from Lincoln Financial Field. Got his thoughts uh, regarding that. We got some injuries in this game. And uh, from a point spread perspective, yeah, the Bucks a six-and-a-half point choice on the road. And let's bring in our guru from Doc Sports, our longtime friend and handicapper, Scott Spritzer, joins us. What's up, Scott? How's it going, TC? It's going good. All right. And we got Trevor Maddich, who's still on with us from the last segment. We did our college football breakdown last segment, and we will get ready for our best bet segment here coming up in just a matter of moments. Like we said, moving it up a day since we will not be here uh, tomorrow and we'll not be at the Cosmopolitan. So let's get our best bet segment in today. So Trevor Maddich and Scott Spritzer join us for that today. And I'm glad, Scott, because it's always difficult getting you in on a Friday. So now it's like old times. We get you in the best bet segment on a Thursday. Absolutely. It feels like old times. We're just not going to pig out at the Cosmo afterwards, unfortunately. <laughs> we left the best part out. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right. Uh, I want to get both of you guys uh uh, thoughts on, on tonight's game. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Uh, Tampa Bay, Philadelphia. Uh, give me some thoughts, and who do you like and why? Yeah, first of all, if you like, if you like Tampa Bay and you have yet to make the bet, there are still some six-and-a-halves out there, and there are also even more sevens if you like Philly. So you know where to go with the shopping as far as the point spread is concerned. 
Uh, listen, the Eagles have been buying into Sirianni style. They're off the win at Carolina. They're battle-tested. Uh, they've been money at home. They've covered four straight on their home field. And Tom Brady and his receiving core have been amazing again this season. They're at the bottom of the league in rushing yards. I don't get too concerned with that when it comes to this offense because of their passing ability. But Philly's strength this year is defending the pass. And if you're not able to get that running game going, I think Philly could hang around in this one, you know, tie in Eagles' balanced offense. And I think they give Tampa a run for their money. So I jumped on Philly plus seven tonight. All right. Trevor, give me some thoughts. I'm worried about Tom Brady. Are you worried about Tom Brady? A little bit with that thumb injury. Yeah, yeah. I think we That's both are. It. And because I think what they would like to do is, is run the ball, which I agree, Scott, I don't think they'll be able to do it all that well against Philly. But the thing that I worry about with Brady is that he might have to keep up in more of a track meet than he wants because his secondary is completely banged up. I mean, they're just really banged up. And they're not playing that well anyway. And the backups coming in are playing very poorly. Nobody's giving up more yards per game through the air than Tampa Bay's defense. And the thing about Jalen Hurts, quarterback for Philadelphia, is that you know he's not the, the greatest passer in the world right now at this stage of his career. But he is really good against the Blitz. I mean, he's averaging nine yards per attempt against the Blitz. And Tampa loves to Blitz. They're the blitzingest team in the NFL right now. And so if they try to go after Hurts, two problems happen. One is that he's really good against the Blitz. That's where he's actually his best as a thrower. But also, he is an amazing runner. He is a running back at the quarterback position. And that will allow them to stress the rushing defense of Tampa Bay. It'll allow them to extend plays off schedule because, you know, he'll get away from Indomitian Zoo and those guys once in a while and run around and, and stress what's going on. And I think it'll lead to more points from Philly than Tampa fans will be comfortable with watching. And I, that would mean that Tom Brady might need to do a lot more in order to make up for deficiencies in the defense. So to me, this whole thing is about whether or not the Philadelphia Eagles can exploit the, the back end of the Tampa defense. Because if they can, then Tom Brady, with his thumb, is going to have to pull him out of the fire again. And that's why I'm worried about Tom Brady. All right. Uh, got any pick on the side here, uh, Trevor? Side or total? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm picking um, Tampa Bay, and I'm taking, the, I'm taking the points, just like Scott. And the reason is that I think Tampa is going to score a lot more than people think. And I think it'll be a pretty good little shootout. Plus, I don't know that Brady's going to be able to throw the ball down the field as much as he wants. And the Eagles are going to be able to come up and slow down the run even more. So I, I, I like the Eagles with the points. All right, there he is. All right. It's Football Friday and time for the weekend's action. Here's the best bets. It's actually a thunderous Thursday, and we're doing our best bets today. Our three best college plays, our three best NFL plays, and again, Scott Spritzer, Trevor Maddich joining me. Scott, lead us off. Be the number one hitter. Uh, you've won the coin toss. You will receive. Give us your three best college plays. All right, I'm going to start off with Minnesota plus the points over Nebraska. Gophers getting four as we speak. And listen, I think it's a real tough spot, and I'll make it quick, but a real tough spot for Nebraska having a couple of really heartbreaking losses, obviously, against Michigan State and Michigan. They should have beat Michigan State. They could have beat Michigan. They could have beat OU, for that matter. Self-inflicted wounds. They didn't run what is now a quadruple rather than triple option against Michigan, which I thought was odd. And then I saw that one of their new offensive linemen that they introduced to the starting lineup against Northwestern, kid by the name of Teddy Prohaska, 
6'9", 300-pound freshman who was brought in against Northwestern to help shore up the offensive line mistakes. Well, he got injured last week. He's not going to play reportedly this week. You won't find that on injury list, but he's not going to play. So they have to bring in a kid by the name of Bryce Benhart, who, God bless him, he has not really played well when he's gotten his time. He's been one of the offensive linemen who's made mistakes. I think that's going to be tough. Plus, you got Minnesota. While Nebraska's been playing these intense battles and losing, Minnesota had last week off, and they got one of the best game preparation coaches uh, on their sideline, and I think they'll get the job here. So they're plus four. I took the points with them. Uh, if you want me to keep going, TC, or do you want to rotate? I'm no, it's, whatever you it, want. it's you, man. You th- your three best college plays, one down, two to go. All right, we're going to go with Baylor minus the points over BYU. BYU in a real tough spot. Bubble burst theory comes into play in this one when it comes to betting. They lost their first game of the season when teams start 5-0 and or better. They lose that first game. They're kind of on the same level as BYU, which means not quite top five type of team, uh, which they aren't. Uh, they tend to find a real flat spot the next time out. They're like 55-93 and 93 against the spread. I didn't think they impressed a whole lot with their 5-0 and start, had them power rated below most people that do power ratings. Uh, their one impressive win came against Arizona State, but they were outgained by 65 yards. They gave up 426, but ASU had four turnovers in that game. Uh, Baylor gave undefeated Okie State a run for their money till the final two minutes a couple of weeks ago. They've already beaten Iowa State. They bounced back last week against West Virginia, 45-20. I like Baylor laying the points. And I'll give you one more. And we're just going to depend on Nick Saban getting things right this week (laughs) as they travel to uh, Starkville. And here's the thing. If you look at Nick Saban's overall numbers against the spread, when he's coming off a loss, they don't look anything special. They're not good. But if you check out their recent history, you'll see they've won and covered five in a row off their last five losses, and they do it by a wide margin. They heavily outgained A&M last week. They had two trips inside the five. First and goal came away with a grand total of three points. Please bring back Sark. They're yelling in Bama for an offensive coordinator. Uh, but anyway, it misstates 0-7 against the spread at home off a road game, averaging just 15 points per game in that spot. Final note for me, guys, on this one is that misstates averaging 56 yards rushing per game. 56. 3.1 yards per carry. Under Saban, Alabama's 8-1 against teams that average less than 3.25 yards per carry, 8-1 against the spread, 9-0 straight up. Average final score, 48-8. to They won 41-0 last year. I'm taking Nick Saban over Mike Leach. I'm not a Mike Leach fan. There's my three plays. There you go. All right. He went against Trevor Maddich's alma mater. I'm sure Trevor has something to say about that. What do you got, Trevor? Give us your three best. All right. Well, first thing I have to say is, how did Baylor get so good all of a sudden? <laughs> I mean, because they are really good. I mean, their offense right. is pretty good. Their defense, though, has been doing a lot of really good things. And it's like, wow, how, why is Baylor so good? Um, so I'm a little worried about that for my alma mater for BYU. Uh, my first game is Michigan State laying four and a half at Indiana. And I say, take the Spartans, lay the points. Indiana really is a hot mess right now. Their defense is not doing a whole lot. Their offense can't get anything going. Their starting quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., has been banged up, and he might not start this week, and it could be because of injury. It could be because of play. Jack Tuttle, the backup, might start. There's all kinds of indecision, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with the fireworks that Michigan State could put on the field. Now, Michigan State, Peyton Thorne, quarterback, is just striking deep down the field on a regular basis. Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor, his top two receivers, are both averaging 21 yards per catch. 
And that is just phenomenal, especially when you combine it with running back Kenneth Walker the third, who leads the nation in rushing. And Indiana just does not have the horses to keep up with that. Now, the other side is that the Michigan State defense gives up a lot of yards. So I just don't think that Indiana is going to be able to take too much advantage of that. So I've got Michigan State lay the points at Indiana. Then San Diego State is at San Jose State. The Aztecs are favored by nine. I say take the Aztecs, lay the nine. The Spartans this year are a shadow of their team that they had last year. Last year they were just phenomenal. This year they're really struggling. And, you know, they've lost three three losses by 18 points or more. In other words, they lost to USC, Western Michigan, and Colorado State by almost three touchdowns each. And you can see USC, Western Michigan is pretty good, but Colorado State is Colorado State. And they lost that one by a wide margin as well. San Diego State covered last week against New Mexico, even though their injured running back has his first game back after a couple of weeks. Their injured quarterback had his first game back uh, after about a month, and they weren't really uh, efficient. But now that they've got a game under their belt, I think they'll be better. I think the Aztecs take care of business and remain undefeated at San Jose State. And then Florida is at LSU, laying 11.5. There's a theme here. Take the road favorites, lay the points. LSU is, I don't know what happened to their defense. I mean, it is it makes me sad to watch LSU play defense because they're getting pushed around. I mean, Kentucky last week had 300 and 30 yards rushing against LSU. But what's worse than that is that there were guys that were near the ball that didn't sprint to the ball at times. And that, to me, is a real tell about what's going on with this LSU defense. Florida's offense is better able to exploit the run against the LSU defense because of their running quarterback, which is a lot more dangerous than the running quarterback, well, than the quarterback of Kentucky, Will Levis. He's not really that much of a runner. But Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson are runners. And so I think that LSU is liable to get completely smoked in this game. Plus, LSU is missing their best player, receiver Keishon Boutte, uh, and he is out for the rest of the year with injury. So how in the world is LSU going to keep up with a running game from Florida that should just push them all over the field? Take the Gators, lay the points. All right, there it is. Like, I'm going to continue the theme of laying points uh, on the college side here. North Carolina and Miami, the uh, Hurricanes quarterback, Derek King, he is out. Starting center, out. Uh, your second-leading rusher running back, out. Miami has been horrendous this year. Lopsided losses to Alabama, Michigan State. Last week, close loss to Virginia, who stinks. Narrow victory over Appalachian State. North Carolina is still one of the most explosive offenses in college football, even though they struggled this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But quarterback Sam Howell is fantastic and very solid at home. They beat UVA by 20, beat Duke by 31, and we know the Miami defense is horrendous. Last year in this game, 62-26 Tar Heels. They rushed. Think about this, Trevor. They rushed for 554 yards against the Canes. Total yardage, 778 yards. Okay, give me a fraction of that. Lay seven with 
North Carolina over Miami. I'm with Scott all the way. This game's been circled for me. Alabama rolls over Mississippi State. Tide coming off a loss. Watch out. Alabama made all kinds of mistakes last week. They still scored 21 straight points to take a seven-point lead. Should have won that game against A&M, but uh, they didn't. Mississippi State, one-dimensional as we know. Mike Leach's teams are a piece of cake for Nick Saban to go against. Remember last year? 41-0 last year. Nick Saban and the Alabama defense held him to 200 total yards. So this is an easy get-back game for the Tide. I think they roll Tide roll. And this one, I this is a misprint with the line here. Wisconsin and Army lay 14 with the Badgers. Army can do one thing, guys, and we know what that is, right? It's run the football. Who's the number one defense in the land against the run? It is Wisconsin. Army quarterback, he is injured. He will not play. It's a huge loss for them. Army lost to Ball State by 12 last week. They fell behind 21 to nothing. Wisconsin, this is their get-back game. They will roll over Army, lay the 14. Wisconsin spawned, responded very well after losses to Notre Dame and Michigan with a shutout at Purdue last week, 24-0. So they're coming back home. They're going to deliver a beatdown to the Cadets. All right. Scott Spritzer, give us your three best NFL. All right, let's go with the uh, Chargers-Ravens battle to kick things off. Ravens, I laid two and a half of this one. Tough spot for the Chargers. Not because they're a West Coast team traveling to the East Coast. We've already talked about that and what a myth it is uh, that the West Coast teams actually do better on the road against East Coast teams. So we'll throw that out the window. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's instead because of the Chargers' recent schedule. They beat the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Browns in successive weeks following that hard-fought 2017 loss to Dallas. We also know now that the wins over KC and Las Vegas aren't quite as sexy as they looked at the time. Uh, The Ravens' offense is clicking. Love the report right now uh, between Lamar Jackson and his tight end, for instance. They're on all cylinders. Uh, Their only loss so far this season that keeps them from a 5-0 mark was that week one tough spot loss in overtime here in Sin City. I laid the two-and-a-half with Baltimore. I also laid three with Cleveland guys and the Cardinals. They're at a spot not unlike the Chargers in that they've won a few big, intense battles. They've now got to travel, face this hungry Cleveland team that blew one in Los Angeles last weekend. Arizona could very easily have lost to San Francisco. They were noticeably outgained. They finished with barely more than 300 yards of offense. And I think Cleveland's going to be in a pretty ornery mood. They, listen, they, they became the only team in the NFL to score more than 40 points gain more than 500 yards, not turn the ball over, and lose a football game. That's what they did last week that no team in the NFL has ever done in a game. They blew a 14-point lead. I think they'll be able to run the ball to Cardinals. Cleveland likes to run. Cardinals so-so on defense against the run. Took Cleveland and laid the three. My final play, guys, I'm back in the Patriots plus three and a half over Dallas, and Dallas has been impressive in victory and also in their one defeat this year. However, their last three wins didn't exactly come against top-shelf opposition, including the Giants, who were a banged-up football team. But as always, throughout the years, guys, if the Cowboys put together a few wins, they become overhyped, they could become overpriced, and I think that's the situation here. As far as the Pats, they played without four of their five offensive line starters last week, still got the win. All those guys are expected back for this one up front, and I have been impressed with Mac Jones. I really have. Uh, Belichick, 14-4 and against the spread as a home dog. Obviously, a lot of that came in the early portion of the Tom Brady era, but still he knows how to prep a team for this situation. I took the Patriots, took the points over Dallas. All right, Trevor, hit us. Okay, I've got the opposite side of that Cowboys-Patriots game. 
I think I say take the Cowboys, lay the three and a half. And I get what you're saying, Scott, and you make really excellent points. But I can't get over the way that Davis Mills, the Texans quarterback, looked like Joe Montana last week <laughs> against the Patriots defense. I get it that, you know, he had a, a 60-yard touchdown that probably should have been an interception. You know, he's got some, some – he wasn't like he was so precise the whole game. But at the same time, when it came down to it, Davis Mills – led a team that had nine combined points in his first two starts, and all of a sudden he almost beat the New England Patriots. And I'm a little worried about that Patriots defense when now they have to face one of the better offenses in the NFL led by Dak Prescott. So I think Dallas laid the three and a half. I'm much more confident in what the Cowboys can do on offense than what I am confident the Patriots are able to do, even with those offensive linemen coming back. And then the Rams are at the Giants. And I say they're laying nine and a half. And, and once again, road favorite, take the Rams, lay the points. The Giants are so banged up. I mean, who knows who's even going to play? Their quarterback, Daniel Jones, has been in the concussion protocol, and they think he'll probably be back. But that means he hasn't practiced this week. Saquon Barkley has missed practice time this week with an ankle. But his game is, is explosiveness. And when you're on an ankle that is bothering you, it's hard to be explosive. Same way with receiver Kenny Galladay who has a hyperextended knee. And if he plays, he won't, can't be as explosive as he once was. Kadarius Tony, the human joystick at receiver for the Giants, is also banged up. And I think when you combine all of that with a Rams team that has got a defense that can take advantage of offensive players that are not at their best, I think that the Rams are the team to go with and lay the points. And then my third game, I was, I was struggling with this one. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, yeah, Take the Buffalo Bills, lay the five and a half at Tennessee. A lot of people think that Derrick Henry, the Tennessee running back, is going to just keep this thing close because he's going to, you know, gain a whole lot of yards on the ground and control the clock and all that. Not this year. Tennessee has a whole bunch of injured offensive linemen. They've got injuries at receiver. Their top receiver from last year is A.J. Brown, and he has struggled to have an impact this year. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill hasn't been that great. Julio Jones, if they got in a trade, a receiver from Atlanta, has been banged up, and I don't know how much he'll be able to play or how effectively in this game. And you've got a Buffalo Bills defense that is absolutely astonishingly good. I mean, they are really good. So I just don't think Tennessee's going to move the ball. And the flip side of that is that this Tennessee defense is bad. It's, it's awful. And they're missing one of the most important players in Bud Dupree that they got in a trade from Pittsburgh, or a free agent, one of the two. Anyway, they got him from Pittsburgh, and he's not able to play. The media is pass rushing, and they don't have it because he's been hurt. And the secondary has been getting lit up. And so I think Buffalo is going to have another game where they're just going to absolutely cruise to a victory. All right. He is Trevor Maddich. All right. Green Bay and Chicago. I'm going to start there. Aaron Rodgers against Justin Fields. Do I need to say more? Well, I really don't, but I will. Justin Fields, remember, hyperextended uh, knee last week against the Raiders, came back to play. But going back to what Trevor said, man, it's uh, you need that explosiveness. But this is really a, a, a play against the Bears. They are banged up. David Montgomery out. He is on IR. Then Akeem Hicks, his backup, he is out. 
Damian Williams just tested positive for COVID. Who's running the ball for the Bears? The Bears have zero running backs for this game. I don't see how they're going to be able to move the ball against a very good Packers defense that's ranked fifth in the NFL. Lay four and a half with the Packers, and we know that the Packers are automatic with Rodgers. 20-5 and five against the Bears. 55 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Green Bay won both meetings last year by 19-16. and 16. Go Pack Go! Indianapolis against Houston. Trevor and I love picking against the, the Texans, so I'm doing it this week's. Indiana, a gut-wrenching loss last week where they blew a 19-point second-half lead to Baltimore. Should have won the game. What cures that? Oh, play the Texans. No problem. Carson Wentz has actually looked very good the last two weeks off virtually an unstoppable uh, performance last week against uh, Baltimore. Bad fate for the Colts last week, uh, you know, because they had Rodrigo Blankenship. You know, you had the four-eyed, you know, Clark can't look like. Blowing the game. Should have won the game outright. But that's okay. We still got paid. Anyway, uh, I like uh, the Colts laying nine and a half against Houston. And I'm with Scott here as well, too. Love the Patriots in this spot. Uh, the number was four, three and a half now. Uh, New England has played well, and they're getting better each week. Two weeks ago, nearly lost to the Tampa Bay Bucks. They are 0-3 at home. That's not going to continue. They're still solid defensively. They're ranked, uh, uh, depending on what you're looking at, fourth or fifth in the NFL. And Dallas D, they have really struggled. This is a big play for me going against the Dallas defense, next to last in passing yards allowed. And like Scott said, Mac Jones, I like Mac Jones, getting better each week. The offense will be able to move the ball against that porous Dallas defense. I think it's a good spot for New England. Possible letdown for Dallas. Actually going on the road in a very tough place to play. And they've had three cupcakes in the last three weeks. And all three of those cupcakes, the Dallas beat, were on their home field at Jerry's World. So good spot for the New England Patriots. All right, those are our best bets. They will be up on the website a little bit later on. You can get uh, Matt Holtz uh, picks up there as well, too. Uh, Gilby, the intern, is, is up there. And uh, and uh, all of our other uh, regulars up there, uh, Trevor Manich and Scott Spritzer at tcmartinshow.com. All right, Trevor, I appreciate you as always, brother. Thank you very much. Great stuff as usual. Have a great weekend. You can listen to Trevor uh, doing the ESPN uh, college uh, stuff all throughout uh, the day on Saturday. Save your voice, my friend, and uh, always great talking with you. I appreciate you see it. I feel ganged up on here by you and Scott on that that Buffalo, or excuse me, that New England Dallas game. So now it's personal. We'll see. We'll see. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like side wager, a food side wager, Trevor. You know oh, how we like to do that? Yeah. yeah oh, listen, absolutely. But I want mine to be sushi. You can have whatever well, you want, okay? The cool, the yeah. cool thing about so this, you both, Trevor, you both get ready to buy me sushi after this weekend. Oh. I, I was just going to say, though, the cool thing is, is you know, TC and I get to split. That loss if we lose. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said sushi because it can be expensive. <laughs> Scott, Scott, I've dined Thanks, with guys. I've dined with both of you guys. You know, Trevor's the big offensive lineman; he can eat. So I don't know if we're going to get off cheap on that one. Oh boy! Now you tell me. <laughs> Take care, go Trevor. Ask those TC. We'll right, talk to you next week, man. All right, Scott. Uh, real quick, I want to get your thoughts before you leave. Uh, looking forward to the Astros, but I want a quick thought tonight: Giants, Dodgers, Game Five. Eileen Dodgers, it was a play for me on the Dodgers, and then they decided to yeah. uh, put Knebel in the, in the game and, and, and take Urias out of the game. Urias is going to come in. It could be in the second, and he could be the third. And, and so because of that, it took me off the game, but I still lean L.A. Yeah, 
Okay, and that that's crazy too. And I, I joked earlier, not joke, I was serious. It's like, hey, if you listed uh, Urias uh, on your ticket, uh, you, you better go back and either uh, make another bet or something because he's not starting. That's crazy. Yeah, and I list pitchers every game yep. almost. Yep. And when he got when it became apparent that they were going to remove Urias as a starter, bring him in later in the game, I just decided not to reinvest. I just took my money and said, I'm going to root for LA. I think it's the right side. There you go, brother. All right, great stuff. Scott is available at Doc sports.com all of his plays there and uh, go check him out great follow on twitter too at scott wins we had our espn connection i mean trevor with espn and then scott you spend all of your weekend uh, mornings either with mel kuyper or somebody always uh you know uh, handicapping uh, with espn so we we had a uh, espn saturday sunday day today absolutely sundays at twelve thirty eastern i'm on uh, with kevin winter every sunday talking nfl betting there you go brother all right man appreciate you be good man Take care. Go Astros, buddy. There you go. I love it. Get those tickets on the Astros. Get him in game one. Get him to win the series. Just like cashing that ticket against the White Sox. Those dreadful White Sox. Numchucks White Sox. That's it. All right. All right. I will be in Houston. I will check in with you from Minute Maid Park tomorrow. Numchuck, the G-Man, they'll be here. And C-Win, Chris Win will be uh, here as well, too, with uh, a plethora of guests as well. And I'll uh, check in with you from Houston tomorrow and back at it here in studio on Monday. Major League Baseball playoffs, NLCS, ALCS, it's all happening, and plus great college football in the NFL over the weekend. Have yourself a good one, and if you miss any part of the show, you know where to go, tcmartinshow.com. Have a great weekend, everybody.